We will proceed no further in this business. Was hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Hath it slept since, and wakes it now to look so green and pale, of what it did so freely? Pray peace. I dare do all and may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was it then make you prempt this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you are a man. If we should fail. We fail! But screw your courage to the sticking place, and will not fail. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Film, a podcast that is not about Scottish films. I'm Paul Salt. And I'm Katie Maiden. We're back in the UK for BBC Four's 2010 adaptation of Macbeth. We will proceed no further in this business. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Have it slept since? And wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was then that made you break this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you were a man. If we should fail. We fail. But screw your courage to the sticking place. And we'll not fail. Uh, Yay. Yay. (laughs) Directed by Rupert Gould. It's double O-L-D. Gold. 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 Going for gold. Um, Who also directed my favourite instalment of The Hollow Crown, Richard II, and directed Judy last year. Do you remember the Judy Garland thing with Renee Uh, Zellweger? Yes. Uh, Yeah. um, Renee Zellweger won Best Actress. She did. I hadn't remembered that. It's it's very much like Lincoln, I think. It's one of those movies where, like, it's based around the performance. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, so makes sense for a theatre director. So his hour upon the stage. How did we find Macbeth 2010? It was a great movie. Yeah. Um, it was incredibly long. This is yeah. one of the longest ones we've had. It really so is. Because they we'll get to like the Shakespeare part soon, but mm. because they didn't cut anything, it was incredibly yeah. long. I think everything is here, and that's pretty rare. Yeah, and that took away from it a bit, I think, because I was like so tired by the end. <laughs> uh, that yeah. was, was also because I had a bit of a, a, a like pressure headache yesterday. Oh, God. So it wasn't all to do with the film, but it was gorgeous. Like, mm. So I think... Basically, because it's based on a theatre production, which was yes. at the Chichester um, Festival Theatre, yeah. which is a very famous theatre uh, where my boyfriend grew up, ah. um, it clearly like was a stage production, so the yes. set is very minimal. I think it's supposed yeah. to be set in like a barracks? Yes. it's Like um, an army barracks? The aesthetic is Eastern Europe, 1960s. Romania, apparently, was the big influence, and there were parallels between yes. the story of Macbeth and the story of Nikolai Ceausescu. So yes. there's a lot of Eastern Bloc kind of Soviet threat going on, which... Um, yes, the Soviet yeah. stuff is very apparent. Yeah, definitely, in the aesthetic. So it's got that sort of grim, dialed back, very claustrophobic kind of downfall vibes. Kind of, but mm. also is very open in that there's not wow. like loads of um, props and set. It's yeah. all kind of in a in a warehouse. And you know what it reminds me of? Mm. This is only going to make sense to a couple of people, but it reminds me of Punch Drunk. So Punch Drunk are a theatre company oh, right. who do theatre where you follow them around. It's mm. in a big warehouse and it's not a stage. It's like yeah. everyone's off in different rooms and you can see different parts of the play. And the one they do in... Um, new york is called sleep no more and Mm. it's based on macbeth 
And it reminded me of that a little bit because it was all in this like warehouse and yeah. it was all like, it's almost like you could have been following Patrick Stewart around yes. getting the whole play. That's interesting. Um, so, but it was really gorgeous. There were some scenes, like mm. shots that were like art shots. Yeah. You know, that kind of, there's a couple where Patrick Stewart and, what's, what's the name of the actress that plays David Remember? That is Kate Fleetwood. Yeah, Kate Fleetwood are, are kind of standing hand in hand in, in the elevator in this yeah. kind of New York um, studio apartment style elevator yeah. holding hands with the blood between them. And it's just like so gorgeous and yeah. really grim. Yeah, absolutely. It is it is very grim. It's very stripped out. And it looks like if you've ever been to the uh, the war tunnels over in um, Dover, you know, yes. sort of hospital tunnels where they would sort of, you know, keep people who were being you know brought back, you know, for fights in the channel. There's these endless sort of tunnels down there and it's all very stark and there's definitely that vibe to it. And the style makes actually a really good case for enforcing the murder because we start pretty much the first two acts. We're solidly down in these tunnels. It's metal. It's concrete. It's, you know, people looking grim and sort of really disturbing scenes. Then, as soon as they've murdered Duncan, we're upstairs and outside for the first time. Yeah, there's one scene outside. Or maybe, like, there's a couple of scenes outside. But that's, like, the first time, really, we see it outside and it's all bright and they've got horses. And And they're, like, free. It's like, this is the prize for doing the horrible thing. But then, as his madness grows and as his situation gets, you know, more and more authoritarian, we're back in the tunnels again and he starts his own sort of descent. But... It's implica- It's interesting because it kind of indicates that Macbeth was no worse than Duncan, that Duncan's own regime was pretty hellish, you know, and that our characters were at risk as a result of being in their position. So it kind of adds some impetus to the idea of them doing the murder, which I quite like. Yeah, there's um, um a couple of really great scenes. Mm. There's... um. Like I said with the shots, but there's this one scene where uh, Lady Macbeth's got this chocolate cake straight after she yes. is convincing Macbeth to kill Duncan. Yeah. And she and Macbeth walk into the dining hall with this chocolate cake. Mm. And and then, like a scene later, Fleance is like eating the chocolate cake. He's stolen he it is, from the yeah. fridge. <laughs> so it's this kind of great, like, this cake is almost reminiscent of what's going to happen. Like, mm. they've got this cake which is her like putting this persona on mm. of like this housewife. And then right. it doesn't matter what she, whether or not she puts on that persona because at the end of the day, Fleance was always like destined to be king. To get the cake. In so the end. yeah, he got the cake. Interesting. There's also a really great <laughs> montage. Oh yes, um, of murder and such. Yes. Yeah. So because this is like supposed to be some 60s or 50s war yeah thing like soviet thing that's going soviet block sort of satellite state yeah yeah you kind of get these um shots of um what are they called um gulags like executions um yeah no what i mean is the type of shot you know where it's like um just like a standard you know i mean like it's not shots of patrick stewart it's just shots of like tv old tv kind of oh like stock footage style stuff stock footage that's what i was trying to say (laughs) you get like stock footage of you know soviet marching yeah shooting and all this stuff and then there's a great montage is it during banquo's death i think Mm. where um they've got banquo's death happening at the same time they've got like this kind of feast happening at the same time they've got the stock footage of these like marching soldiers yeah and um yeah, I thought that was really great. Yeah. So yeah, overall, like it's a beautiful movie. Mm. There's great 
a great visualization, great sound. Yeah. Um, Very grounded but, in terms of its style, you know, the, yes, the camera. Yes, it knew what it was doing, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, it's not cussing around, there's no, like, flash cuts or anything like that. It's pretty grounded in terms of capturing these performances. And, um, yeah, some really striking images. Like, the first shot of the film is of a bloody hand. Yeah, Which I thought was really good. Um, and sort of set the tone for this very depressing kind of impression, um, the ways which it's going to tell this story. And the murder of Cordor at the very beginning is really grim. He's tied up to a chair. I think he might even have a bag over his face and someone just walks in and shoots him in the head. Yeah. There are some, there's some pretty like gory bits, mm. which I quite like a bit of gore. <laughs> I mean, it's not for everyone, but you know, it's sure. Macbeth. You yeah, know, exactly. Expect some gore. <laughs> and it, it, again, by having the murder of Cordor be so ruthless, it again establishes the idea that Duncan in this one is not better than Macbeth. You know, he's not the no. divine king, the holy, rightful, you know, ruler who Macbeth portrays. It's very much a sort of act of necessity that gets him killed by Macbeth. And it's, yeah, it, it's, it establishes a sort of grimmer world. Okay, well, let's move on. Fair is foul, foul is fair. How close are we to Shakespeare? Um, like we said mm. just now, this has like every single line from the play in. Yeah, we still have one of them. Still no Hecate. We'll never get Hecate. But um, no, well, we nearly got Hecate. We got so references. We got, we got a weird like bit where they almost implied that their master was this kind of dead corpse guy. Oh yeah. And and that's the closest we've got yeah. to Hecate. The Hecate um, actually showing up and telling off the witches. Yeah. Yeah, that's the closest we've got. But again, no Hecate. Um. <laughs> But so we did have a um a scene that was switched over mm. right at the beginning. Oh yeah, because usually the witches start. Oh yep yep that's true. We have the bloody and sergeant's we report. We didn't have a start with the witches. We had a what, what bloody man is that? Starting yeah, the bloody off. sergeant's so report comes first. Yeah. Doubtless, as two spent swimmers they cling together and choke their hearts. Um, but you know it, that's like damn close. I mean, it was yeah. a stage play. Pretty much every line is in there, including mm. Act Four, Scene One, uh, Scene Three. Yeah. Which oh, is... sorry, Act Four, Scene Three, Part One. <laughs> yeah, which is... the first half of that scene, which goes on for about twelve minutes, is really just my god. My brain just has completely switched off during that yeah. bit. And in this one, it takes place in like a church. Well, how can we make this scene less annoying? I know. Let's have it start in a piano recital. So they're yeah. being really inconsiderate as well as boring. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I feel so much better about this now. But yeah, it's still a really dull, a really dull sequence that. Um, so the only thing that isn't like true to Shakespeare, really, yeah. is that they've taken it from, you know, sure. 1500s, 1600s yeah. into the 1960s. So they've changed everything from like swords to guns. Mm. And they've take, taken like, you know, the costumes are modern and yeah etc but everything everything is pretty pretty close it's pretty faithful they did some interesting changing around with characters for example mm. um the mcduff family is now three kids yes. instead of one and they show up with mcduff instead of yes. lennox yeah which... i like i really like that it so the, the conversation that happens between it usually happens between Macbeth and that other guy lennox yeah well yeah well well um Macduff is fine in Duncan's body. Now happens between Macbeth and the wife. And kids. So it gives them some sort of relationship. It does. Yeah, it's a previous thing. They have like a little back and forth and it makes Macbeth's actions later all the more cruel. 
And actually, Macduff's wife, whoever plays her, oh. is a great actress. I did have a note of her. She is someone, but... um, She is someone, but she's also really good. Like, yeah. you could just tell she was a good actress. She was just, like, so natural. <laughs> yeah. And she acted like this kind of carefree kind of wife. And when she's having that conversation with her children about, you know, your father's dead, and she has this really playful thing about her that you see mums of kids having, like, yeah. kind of tickling them and, like, being like, I can get, you know, husbands at 10 at a market. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> it was just so she's so lovely and i was sad when she died <laughs> yeah and th- there's a moment in there i hadn't noticed before uh or at least i had noticed it before it really stuck out stuck out to me this time where she says to them your father's dead what will you do now as if well i think you're gonna have a say in that if he really is dead yeah <laughs> so what are you gonna do now your dad's dead and uh what you can't stay here <laughs> you can't stay here so where are you gonna go what are you gonna do <laughs> what are you gonna do about it what are you gonna do about it um, now, Lennox is interesting. Very interesting. For the first half of this play, he's being Satan. Uh, Seton, sorry. So he's yes. he's attending to Macbeth. He's doing all of that stuff. And he's the third murderer, weirdly. I, we'll come to that later. But Lennox is the third murderer, which is very interesting. Then, halfway through, or near the end, actually, Lennox defects over to the invading army side. And the porter becomes the uh, Seton role. You know, telling yes. Macbeth his wife is dead and all of that. And the porter is around. Yeah, for he's a while. like this crazy, drunken, bald headed, yeah. madness person. <laughs> yeah, we have his speech, but it's creepy. If a man were a porter of Hellgate, he should get old, turning the key. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> he's kind of frightening and weird um, he's really drunk as well you yeah can tell. well he, yeah it's some in some respects he reminded me of mcdermott just because of the sheer size of his performance um he, yeah and he takes up a lot of focus like in that in that sequence like the, the film kind of stops dead and i know you know the play kind of stops dead for the porter but here by making him so ominous and you know frightening it kind of felt like we were getting an undue amount of focus, but then he does stick around and is kind of like the devil on Macbeth's shoulder almost. Yeah, kind of. He's mm. he's like um he's like a brute, isn't he? He's really yeah. like, well, he's kind of brutus, I guess, in this mm. kind of weird Roman perspective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he also he also takes the lines of the old man right after the murder. So he's yeah. like yeah, they kept him around for a bit, which is interesting. But I guess I guess they're using the same actors. That they are, is, yeah. For, that they use for the stage performance. Yeah. So it may have been that they were just using the same actor, like they did in the stage performance, and then having more scope with a film, they could. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In, yeah. But we've seen that before um, with uh, the Ian McKellen Macbeth. They kept using the same actors in different roles, but I feel like they did that consistently enough that it wasn't confusing. Oh, a couple of times here, like when the porter shows up at the banquet, I was like, wait, is he still the porter or is he meant to be playing someone else here? Yeah, that that's little... true. And he was very distinctive because he was the only guy with like this kind of brutish, like yeah. scar and face, bald head kind of look. Yeah, definitely. He definitely stands out. We don't have a physical dagger. We have an imaginary one, which Macbeth frantically pours at at, some, at one stage. <laughs> <laughs> ah, eh. Want to get it? Thank God for no fit. I thought there was going to be a physical dagger because yeah. at one point he like takes up a a knife to like cut some food with. Yeah. I was like, I hope this isn't the dagger, but it's not. <laughs> it's so. not. Fun line delivery I had in there. We've all heard, you know, 
this is a sorry sight, you know, fool to say sorry sight. You know, basically Macbeth is usually looking at his hands, he sees they're covered in blood, and he says, this is a sorry sight, and Lady Macbeth says, you know, it's foolish to say it's a sorry sight, that's, you know, what we wanted. That was the whole plan, Macbeth. Um, here, Macbeth gestures at Lady Macbeth, who is cowering immediately after the murder, and says, this is a sorry sight. <laughs> this is a sorry sight! Foolish thought to say a sorry sight. Indicating her sort of... I noticed the exact same scene. Isn't that He kind of yeah. says it in this way where he's mocking her. He's like, this is a sorry sight. Exactly. Like I, he's mocking her. And I like it. It's like the power dynamic is already shifting. Because yeah. after the murder, the dynamic, dynamic has to go. Lady Macbeth has all the power to Macbeth has all the power um, in a traditional telling of the play. So this was a good first step towards that, I thought. Yeah, and um, also... The he does that a couple of times as mm. well that that kind of mocking voice he does and it, yeah I I like that because it yeah. shows again yeah the power dynamic shift and also mm. you know just her kind of sub sub submissive role as a woman in general <laughs> yeah it, it starts to sort of come about after the murder and it's interesting she was yeah well we'll get to her but um after yeah so we've already talked about how it shows other murders after banquo implying a sort of reign of terror that he's got going on which was good it's not just you know two families he goes after he kills a whole bunch of people like it reminded me of death of stalin at certain points the sort of more grim <laughs> purging scenes okay creepy banquet scene like even before the ghost shows up Macbeth is like accusatory and kind of weird like messing around with people and he really scares ross on what stage? Poor Ross. Poor in Ross. This. Ross is. Such... He, he reminds me of Ross. Who? I don't know if it's the same actor. I'm not. Sure. I don't think it is. Mm. You know the guy's the lead guy in Chernobyl. Oh yeah, Jared Harris. He looks just like him with that kind of cute yeah. curly hair. Yeah, he's like a little bureaucrat. Glasses. He's really and, overwhelmed, yeah. and yeah, he's just trying to stay alive. Yeah, it was. It was sad <laughs> whenever Ross was about, and yeah, Macbeth is really mean to him at the dinner, and then they have some weird dancing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I noticed that. So that, I've told said this before, but I don't really like that scene. The banquet scene. It's, it kind of cringes me out a little bit. Okay. Um, but I, I don't I don't mind it as much when they make it into more like a party. <laughs> because it kind of, it makes more sense. I also think it's a bit boring. Yeah, a little bit dull. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it, like, the dancing livens it up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. The scene which in the play is just Lennox and a lord talking about where the sons have gone, which is weird because the audience already knows. And in this, actually, right after the murder, the sons are like, oh, we must away to England and I to Ireland. And then they run off down separate tunnels as if this is the tunnel that's going to most directly to England. England and that's the one to Ireland. <laughs> it's a bit silly. But anyway. Um, I don't know about you, but I have a tunnel to Scotland and a tunnel to Ireland. <laughs> we have to have plan B right now. Um, but yeah, uh, instead of just Lennox and a Lord just chatting about where the sons have gone, this is now Ross being interrogated and tortured by Lennox to get yes. that information. Just like good. in a kind of on a chair, like tied to a chair. Yeah, and nothing comes of it because Macbeth doesn't end up going after either son. I thought maybe you could have him get Donalbane because Donalbane doesn't do anything else. You could have like Macbeth kill Donalbane, and it wouldn't be. Any great I think loss. that would be straying quite far away from the play, though. It would be, yeah. Don't just kill Donalbane for no reason. <laughs> well, like it would show that he's closing oh, in. Bain. He still has no role. <laughs> Leave him alone. It would show that he's closing in on the um, on the remaining sons of Duncan, which you know isn't actually part of the prophecy. Banquo's sons were, but 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting making that scene an interrogation. It makes it a bit more dramatic than just two characters telling each other stuff. Yeah. Uh, we have a very old-fashioned answer to Burnham Wood. Soldiers just cut yes. down trees and march up with them. Yes, indeed, which I was like, <laughs> oh, thank God. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it, since they been just did that. It's been a while. <laughs> um, near the climax, there are, two sequ- there are two moments where someone pulls a knife on Macbeth and then he just shoots them. It's like, is... we have guns. What are, you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? But the line says blade, so he has to get his blade out. It's a shame. At no point does Macbeth just did Shakespeare just right and then he shot him. In Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. The Baz Luhrmann, Baz mm. Luhrmann version. Yes. When they say, give me a long sword, uh-huh. it's not actually a sword. Oh. It's a brand of guns. Oh, yeah. So they're they're not doing that where they kind of change everything to make it fit with the guns. That yeah. if there's a blade, they just get a blade. Yeah, they just get a little knife out and run at and each like, other. And like, yeah, where um, <laughs> well, there's a bit where Banquo says to Fleance, like, take my sword. It's like a fencing. Sword. Yeah, he's got a sword. Why do you have a sword in this moment? <laughs> it's like a fencing sword. So I'm wondering it is. maybe. They're it's just like well into fencing or something. It's like an know. officer's sword, but he has it when he goes to like go see his son whilst he's eating cake in the kitchen. So I don't quite know why he's got a sword. Maybe he took it to cut the cake. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit dramatic, Banquo. Cool your jets. Banquo incidentally, this is my, it's my my cake sword. You don't have one. <laughs> Banquo incidentally reminded me of Jeremy Irons a little bit and his energy, which I quite appreciate. Aww. Okay, so yes, in the death scene, I've noticed there are two ways of doing this. Either you have Macbeth as the sort of caged animal, you know, the hellhound, who gets, you know, cornered and then ultimately killed by the heroic, um, oh God, who, Macduff, right? Yeah, Macduff. Of course, Macduff, but where Macduff? Um, and Macduff <laughs> is like the great hero who comes in and murders him. That's what you get with Orson Wells. It's what you get with quite a few things. But another way of doing it, and I've noticed it in this, I've noticed it in the James McAvoy and a couple of other places, is that Macbeth still has the power and kind of consents to getting killed. And I, yeah, I think they went that way with this one. He, he still very much has the power. And Macduff at some point has been like shot and it's like on the table. And he's like, you see, you can't kill me either because of the woman born thing. And he like, in a, from a position of real weakness, says I was from my mother's womb, you know, untimely ripped. And then Patrick Stewart's just like, oh, I guess you are going to kill me then. And then kind of just lets it happen. I think he's kind of resolved by when he finds out that Lady yeah. Macbeth is dead. Yeah. So he has this kind of face that's like, shock and then meh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like he kind of goes like from shock to ah, well, meh. I like guess that's real what quick. they meant. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, she should have died hereafter <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like he's already like realized that the, the, the jig is up. Yeah, I think so. I think there's... Uh, you can definitely play it that way, that he's sort of, you know, he knows that he's on his way out at this stage. Yeah. Um, A little summary before we go on to the our regular segments. I'd say that this one is really good at the wider political picture, but near the sec- in the second half, I do feel it loses track of the personal journey for Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, but that's kind of a problem with the play as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. It is a problem with the play. There, there yeah. are a couple... A couple of things I was thinking throughout this film. Yeah. Where I was like, actually, that's not a problem with this film. That's a problem mm. with the play. Yeah. In the fact that Lady Macbeth's madness as well, like, comes really quickly. That's that's the play, not the film. Yeah. So. I mean, the play is psychological horror until Act 4, where halfway through it becomes a political drama like Julius Caesar. That's the big problem. Like, maybe... 
like if the ghosts had come back to Macbeth and like his in the near the end or like he'd had just a couple more scenes with Lady Macbeth where they talk about how well, things he all could gone have wrong. a Lady Macbeth ghost. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. And she could be like, join me. <laughs> yeah, like a final prophetic um, kind of plea to let it all go and just give up. Um, and he denounces the ghost and goes on and dies anyway. That would, yeah, yeah. That's, that'd be interesting. Take notes, See? Shakespeare. I just fixed Macbeth. I just fixed, we just fixed Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, regular segments, extra ghosts. So, yes. Banquo, very bombastic. Banquo, yeah, nice bloody Banquo. Good bloody, bloody Banquo. Um, the visions are actually reanimated corpses in the morgue with kind of electricity noises as they come Yeah, alive. and they're like after, they're after the, so they give the prophecies like the where Macduff, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, Burnham Wood, And then the visions happen after the prophecy. Ah. Which is, well, well the last one does anyway. Yeah, so he has his Lion of Kings moment where he sees like lots of yeah. cute little kings in their little suits lots and of crowns. Little kings, like Fle- yeah. he sees Fleon yeah. with like a crown on, and he sees like what's supposed to be his son and his son. yeah, all little kids yeah. going back uh, to the seventh one, and then that one carries a mirror showing many more. So yeah. yeah, so fairly straightforward visions. There wasn't much psychedelica in the visions. Um, as no, we've seen in some no, places. No, like, bloody baby. In yeah, there. exactly. Now, Ross's poker face. How does my wife? Why? Well. And all my children? Well, too. The tyrant has not battered at their peace. No, they were well at peace when I did leave them. <laughs> as we've established, Ross is a sort of sad bureaucrat type. So yeah. I found it quite funny in this one. He was, yeah. So he, in this one, he's doing the avoidy thing. Yeah. Where he's doing the whole, I don't want to talk to you. Like, it, you, he can tell that in this one, he's playing it like, I don't want to be the one to tell him. This is like psychologically damaged me. Because you, you get a scene with Ross like crying, like against a wall or being like completely psychologically damaged by yeah, yeah. This, this thing. And he's like, I don't want to be the one to tell you. Is yeah. the stance we're taking here. Yeah. So you can tell that that's what he's doing, but it was yeah. quite funny because it's like, oh, just tell him. Like. Yeah, and it's just the actor's face, especially on the line, you know, they were well at peace when I did leave them. And then does like a full on eye roll, like, so it's a little bit funny. Um, in spite of, yeah, that's definitely the yeah, reason. I want to know what Shakespeare was thinking with that. Is it, was that supposed yeah. to be comedy? I, it's hard to say. He did sometimes. I really don't mix know. In like, you need to tell relief. this guy. Like, his family <laughs> is dead. Yeah, it's I like, think not okay. It's like you say. He just can't bear to do it, but then he ultimately has to because the other guy draws him out of him. You know, that was that. Um, Porter's speech. Yeah, we've already covered. It's creepy. Yeah, <laughs> he's very drunk, and there's a t- uh, a bit where he takes a piss in a sink. Yeah, which is in front like, of Macduff's family. So, in fact, yeah. having Macduff's family there makes the whole thing way creepier because he's talking yeah, about and lechery. The, the kids and... are kind of just ignoring him, yeah. which I think is quite funny. <laughs> but the mum is clearly like looking at her kids like, I really hope they don't understand what this guy's talking about. <laughs> um, okay, a few bits of language that stood out to me, which always happens when we have an adaptation as faithful as this one. Um, the bloody sergeant says... After Macbeth confronts uh, somebody, a traitor of some sort, or I think it's just the big bad guy at the beginning, the bloody sergeant says, which never never shook hands nor bade farewell to him till he unseamed him from the knave to the chaps. I just like the idea he didn't even shake hands before he cut him open. (laughs) 
What the well, hell? Also, you wouldn't shake hands because that's like telling someone you don't have a sword. Ah. That's what shaking hands is. Like you hold your hand out to be like, look, I'm not holding a sword. Yeah. So that wouldn't work because he was definitely holding a sword. The first thing to die on the battlefield is manners. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, when Macduff is running about trying to wake everyone out up, he says, shake, shake off Downey's sleep, death's counterfeit, and look on death itself. So it's like, stop like doing the thing that's kind of like death and come look at actual death. Yeah, so basically like, wake up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come on yeah. Shakespeare, you could have just written wake up there. <laughs> No, but like that's not his deal. That's not his deal. If you why say it in two words when you could say it in two lines? Okay. Uh, after Patrick Stewart has freaked everyone out by screaming at a ghost that only he can see, which does ruin the, the tone somewhat. Um, there's a real abrupt turn to him trying to make ever to trying to play party again, and I just loved her line of "You have displaced the mirth." <laughs> you instead of like yeah like <laughs> instead of you ruined this. <laughs> you have it's like we're not we're not getting past this you understand the party's over right and it's your fault um and finally just when Macbeth and when everything's turning against him he's just there yelling no more reports you know because <laughs> he thinks he's invincible and yeah it just reminded me of current climate and certain political leaders in the world mm, yes indeed it's all just bad news how about you just don't it's gonna it's me? gonna be fine by the winter it's going to be all over by Christmas. And we've heard that one before a couple um, of times. And in the winter, we will go out into no man's land and play football with coronavirus. So <laughs> the last shot is of them heading down an elevator together, possibly a elevator. Oh. But, oh. but yeah, it was really interesting to just have this final shot be them sort of as ghosts riding down this elevator together. Yeah, I was wondering if it was actually taking them like to hell. Yeah, I guess so. We've seen that before, yeah. haven't we? We've seen, like... Well, kind of, in Verdi. Kind of in Verdi. Yeah, he goes down into the catacombs and the naked yeah. witches are there to, like, play about with his Speaking body. Speaking of Verdi, actually, I forgot to mention the seat mm. that the um, set does kind of remind me of Verdi, how everything was on yeah. the ground. That's true. Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, trying up the consequences, did they show the murder? No. No, they didn't. They, this is, um... like, really quick as well. Yeah. He's that's... like, he's like... It's done. <laughs> bish, um, bash, bosh. And we get a cool misty door to look at. And that's one of the best lit moments in the um, in the thing. It's that Lady Macbeth comes out and looks towards the door where it's happening and just sees like mist and light. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, what bloody man is that? Um, how do we rate Patrick Stewart as Macbeth? I mean, it's Patrick Stewart. It is Patrick Stewart. Out. Brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And then he's heard no more. Here's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I mean, he's just, he's a brilliant actor. He is. He just I, is. Like, that. that's the thing. He, I, he's not, like, my favourite Macbeth out of no. all of them. But he was brilliant. He was really good. I liked him a lot. I would say he was great, but in a very familiar and predictable way. You know? Yeah, he, he, he played it, you know, he's a theatre, this was a theatre yeah. production. 
He's very similar to the Ian McKellen, I guess. It is. I found the McKellen a bit more unhinged, a bit less yes, predictable. you're right. Um, though Patrick Stewart did do a couple of cute things, you know, yes. the way he kind of mocks Lady Macbeth mm. and, and the way that, you know, they kind of interact is different. Yeah. Um, but that's not so much him, it's more her. Yeah, and he has some fun with some of the lines. Like, um, every so often he'll just say a word in a really weird way, and the one that stood out to me was... um. When he says, um, I in the catalogue, you go for men, when he's talking to the murderers, um, just in the same way that all these different breeds of dogs go for dogs. But his just pronunciation of... Are called all by the name of dogs. It's just really, <laughs> really stood out. And he's having a bit of fun with it here and there, which I appreciate. Making it Also, own. is this our first bald Macbeth? Oh my god, is it? It might be. I remember we it had might a, be, you know. We had a balding Macbeth with that really dry 1980s BBC one. Oh, yeah, that was dry. That was pretty dry. <laughs> I don't. I remember so little about that one. That was, seems like such a long time ago. I know it's ridiculous, but um, <laughs> I was. I actually watched the first like twenty minutes of this with Matt. Oh yeah, and I was. I was literally mal. I was saying the words oh, along to it, and he was like, "Oh my god, you know this whole thing," and I was like, "Yep." <laughs> Yes, yep. I do. This is now definitely the Shakespeare play we both know the best out of all of them. I think. <laughs> Why uh, can we have done Hamlet? Why? Okay, yeah, I, I like the way that he does angry. He does angry in a really good way. That kind of reminds me of like the way Daniel Day Lewis does angry in things like Gangs of New mm. York, and you know he does menacing. And there's a scene where he's angrily making a sandwich, um, <laughs> whilst whilst talking to the murderers and like telling them that banquo is the one who's caused all of their issues he's just like making the sandwich and then shares it with them and yeah that was interesting oh my god another culinary Macbeth, kind of kind of there was a lot of this actually set in the kitchen yeah which is quite interesting yes um i liked um that there's like a really big poster of him Mm. In like this red, yes. you know that posters you see of Lenin's head. Yeah, very dict- dictatorial. Exactly like that. Yeah, and I'm like, where do I get this Patrick Stewart <laughs> head poster from? I mean, he does look quite a bit like Lenin as well, which helps. <laughs> I think the only problem with me is that I see Patrick Stewart as a very kindly person. Oh yeah, yeah. In general, and so like it is hard to suspend belief, but he did that really well. He did. Like, he he helped me to suspend the belief, and he is an amazing actor. I don't know if Macbeth is a thing for him, like <laughs> because of the way that you need to like switch on this like crazy. Yeah, but yeah, he was he was good. I was trying to think if I've seen him play a villain before, and then I remembered that just this week I rewatched Green Room, where he plays a sort of Nazi um, in a horrible biker bar, and it's just so good. He's so ruthless. The last thing I want to say about Patrick Stewart before we move on. Is that in one scene he gives Lady Macbeth a reassuring tit grab, <laughs> <laughs> just like just as like a hello, you know. <laughs> you gotta... Oh, I love it when you do that to me, <laughs> you little friend. Oh my god, what's wrong with you? It's more weird when people do it to me, and that's why it's I taken hate eleven years for you to stop doing that to me. <laughs> and that's why I really don't like meeting up with Goodman. Um, <laughs> okay, the serpent under it. Rate that, Lady Macbeth. We've got Kate Fleetwood. That I may pour my spirits in thine ear and chastise with the valour of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round which fate and metaphysical aid doth seem to have thee crowned with all. She was fierce. She was fierce. She, I, I liked think there's her. like, I was saying to Matt, there's kind Venomous. of three ways she can play Lady Macbeth. Uh-huh. There's like the kind of angry, fierce Lady Macbeth. Yep. 
And then there's like the sexy. Yep. Like seductious one. And then there's a kind of womanly, like flighty one. Frail, yeah. Which we've had a couple of times, but not many times. 2006 Australian Macbeth kind of had a frail. And the tragedy of, she's quite flighty in that. Oh, you're right. Yes, she was. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, very much And this so. one, she's like the fierce one. She's fierce and also seductive. Like the way she greets Patrick Stewart wearing like the, the lab coat and not much oh else. Oh my God. Yeah, she's wearing a lab coat with nothing underneath it. <laughs> oh my God. It's very saucy. And I was saucy. like, what are you, like, firstly, did you know you can just buy lab coats? <laughs> <laughs> and be sexy in them. You can do that for um, free. Yeah. And she's got like bright red lipstick on and like, yeah. a lot, like heavy on the makeup, heavy on the hair styling. Yeah. She was yeah, a great um, chameleon, you know? She could, like, be the seductive one or the fierce one. And then in the scene, which is becoming, like, a scene I really like in Macbeth, where she has to greet Duncan and be... Yes, she's, the, like, know. a housewife. She's happy. She's yeah. flirting with him. She's like, ah. Yeah, she's, like, really quite... Yeah, it, it, it's great to see her sort of tra- change and transform, depending on what's going on around her, but... Yeah. yeah well it's her that's her line isn't it like being yeah. the serpent under it like absolutely she's duplicitous she knows she's yeah. duplicitous and that you have to play it like that you know in that way yeah. where she's she sees duncan and duncan's like oh my favorite girl you know <laughs> yeah um, and then how lucky is Macbeth? and then he goes yeah. away and she yeah she's like so how are we up. gonna kill this guy so i hate that guy <laughs> i hate that guy so much um, she's on edge in her earlier scenes, which I think is good. It like forebodes her turn, which I think mm. is really good. Yeah, that's true. One last note: I will note that there is a thirty-two year age difference between the two actors here. But hey, that's Hollywood. Isn't Even... there like a forty-year age difference between Patrick Stewart and his actual wife? Oh my god! Yes, I'm I pretty sure. Is. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Go Patrick Stewart. Go Patrick Stewart. Would you <laughs> say no? Is the question Own you have it. to ask yourself. <laughs> okay, weirdest sister, and we have unusual witches we have a surprise reveal um which i really like because you get the bloody sergeant and it's like okay i know what scene we're in and then they leave the bloody sergeant dies seemingly because duncan kept getting him to talk when he should have been getting surgery and it's like thanks duncan bloody sergeant dies and then we're just sticking with it and then suddenly we focus on the three nurses who are with him and it's like oh that's what we're doing when shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain. When the hurly-burly's done, when the battle's lost and won. That'll be air, the set of sun. Where the place? Upon the heath. There to meet with Macbeth. Macbeth. I really liked them. Yeah. I thought they were really creepy, <laughs> really good. Um, and they're constantly about... I like the way that they're wearing um, face masks during this unprecedented yeah. time yeah I think um, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no they were really great they were really creepy they were these like creepy nurses uh, um like wartime nurses yeah and they had you know blood on their hands obviously because they're nurses and yep. they were yeah weird and creepy and i liked it they are they're very weird and creepy and they're also at the banquet as servers and they are the ones at the end who are wheeling lady Macbeth's body away after yes, she killed indeed. herself um also a couple mm. of things they break yeah. the fourth wall Ah, so they look directly into the camera. They do, yes, yeah. And uh, in the "What bloody man is that?" scene, they pull out his heart. Yes, they do for their and potioning. just like for the kind of ritual. So they're using kind of everything. And like we said with Hecate, <laughs> there's a scene where they've got like another man on on the gurney, yeah. and he kind of like raises up, like yeah. he's 
their master or something. So yeah. they're, they're kind of implying Hecate is there in some way. Yeah, a little so bit. So they're using everything around them. They're using yeah. the nurse thing. Yeah. Which is really cool. And the second prophecy has this weird sort of 90s-style garage effect. <laughs> yeah. Which was, yeah, very interesting. Um, okay, last segment. He needs not our mistrust. As covered, Lennox is the one who... Um, is the third, the third murderer. murderer. One other thing to say, though, is interestingly, Banquo's death happens on a train this time. Yes, I love that. Actually. Yeah, it made it interesting. I love a train. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, these guys are so powerful, they don't even need to hide who they are. They can just kill this well-respected lord in a public train, and then later on they'll just say that he was an enemy of the state. Yeah, it was very, it was very Soviet Russia. It yeah. was very like, um, you know, Agatha Christie... Yeah. Murder on the Orient Express style thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's very good it, in general, the film. It, it does some really interesting things and it does really well to modernise the text and actually say something dramatic with it. I will say the only weakness of it is you do have to stray away from the text sometimes and you do have to know when to refocus your story. And I think yes. that's the only oh. weakness is it's a bit too indebted we, to the play. I mean, we were texting each other during watching this. Oh you were a bit God. behind me, but I was like, when is this over? Like, <laughs> this is di- it's different when you're in a theatre. First of all, you get the interval. It's yeah. an event. Like, you can do the whole play when you're in a theatre. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, And you can do a lot more with, like, you know, the stage. You can, eyes can kind of wander when there's a stage. Sure. Um, But it's kind of like, yeah... I don't know. They they didn't need, you know, Act Four, Scene Three. Mm. They don't need that bit. They there's other. They could cut down, for example, the the one that we do at the beginning. Yeah, they could cut that down significantly, as sure. we have discovered. Um, and the, it just doesn't need to be like that long. No, it's it. It always feels like a bit of a waste to me when you're just going to follow the play exactly as it is. It's like, why not be a bit more inventive and actually get your hands on here and you know a lot of the best Macbeth we've covered are the ones that sort of write you know just amend the plot to the purpose that the play is filling because the actual play itself is a bit meandery it has a lot Mm. of different angles and you can emphasize different ones and make different ones more important than others but you need to do that you can't just sort of do everything because it just becomes a bit bloated for a film yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it can it's a this is a cinematic like adaptation. Mm. They use other devices to make it so beautiful. Yeah. Just push it a bit further. Yeah, I think so. Alright then. Well, what is Katie's Shakespeare fact? Charmed okay. life. So mine's about Macbeth today, specifically. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we know that um Shakespeare created a number of words and phrases that we use. We sh- we certainly do. Including to steal someone's thunder. Okay. Ah. So this is one of his unique contributions towards our language. Uh-huh. However, it does not derive from one of his scripts, but actually from a performance of one. Oh. So in 1709, the actor and player at John Dennis invented a machine for replicating the sound of thunder, and there was a particular performance of Macbeth um, that used it, and they he wasn't his troop. It was like a rival troop. Uh-huh. Um... So they literally stole his thunder. <laughs> so he he was in the audience and he stood up in the audience and yelled at the stage, damn them, they will not let my play run, but they steal my thunder. Wow. That's so quite they funny. literally in, in Macbeth stole his thunder. <laughs> so it wasn't Shakespeare that made up that, but it was 
this guy called John Dennis, and he li- they literally stole his thunder from Macbeth. <laughs> How interesting. God, it's just, yeah, the sheer amount of language that he sort of contributed and added to is really quite astounding. Okay. Yeah. God, there's only only three Shakespeare facts left. Three. Better oh make some good ones. <laughs> Better make them the most memorable. Okay, Katie, how can people find out about Katie? <laughs> they can find out all about me if they <laughs> head over to my other podcast, Have You Ever Heard Of, which is a history podcast. And mm. this week we are talking about Romulus and Remus. Ooh. And they can go to my blog, katiewritesabout.com, where I review books and films and sometimes talk about history. And yeah, they can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at katiewritesabout. Fantastic. What about you, Paul? Where they can find out about your sexy, sexy hair? My sexy hair that I've got. It grows all over my body and it's out of control. <laughs> I hate it. If you know how to fix it, please message me. First of all, here at Screen Mayhem, where you can find a bunch of my <laughs> reviews. And also over at OGT Pod, which is One Good Thing podcast, where we watch bad movies and figure nice things to say about them. Now, next up, I didn't, I forgot to research this beforehand. I've just pulled it up. We have got 2012's Shakespeare Must Die which is a 2012 um, Thai adaptation of uh, Macbeth, and it's 176 minutes long, so that's the new longest. Great. Wow, great. How do they make it longer than the one we just How saw? How have they made it longer than Macbeth's play? It doesn't make any sense unless there's, like, song and dance numbers. Well, almost which the entire... Which there could be. <laughs> oh my god, there could be. I hope there is. The entirety of the Wikipedia is taken up with controversy and the fact that the culture minister of Thailand tried to ban it. So this might be a tricky oh, wow. one to find. Might be interesting. Okay. Yeah, I look forward to it. Find out if we manage to find it next week, right here on the Scottish play. But until then, away and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the heart doth know. Bye. Bye.